This is the opening kickoff on the country's first FM all-sports radio station, 105.5 FM WNSP and WNSP.com. The latest sports, news, traffic, weather, and timely guests with Mark Heim and Lee Shervanian. The opening kickoff. 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 Here are Mark and Lee. Right here we are. Welcome into a Wednesday edition, the opening kickoff. Thanks for hanging with us, Mark, and Lee for the next three hours right here on the Sports Station WNSP. Good morning, Mr. Shervanian. Mr. Heim. Good morning. Good morning, Nick. Hey, Nick. Hello. All right. Congratulations to the. Uh, well, I say four or five teams that got into the NCAA championship yesterday. Uh, Gonzaga, they just ran away from St. Mary's. Kind of surprising, Mark. I thought that'd be a lot closer game. Uh, we did have some close games, though. Uh, Northern Kentucky gets in. They beat Cleveland State. Uh, Merrimack defeated Farley Dickinson, but they don't go. Why? Big story about this today. Because they are still on the four-year ineligibility list. When you move up from Division Two to one, you have to four years. And to that, I say this. And Merrimack defeats Fairleigh Dickinson. Fairleigh Dickinson goes. They knew they were going anyway. So I've often wondered, and, and again, I'm not going to get a definitive answer whether I think it's right or not, but if a team is ineligible, why do you have them playing in the postseason tournament? Yes. What do you think about I, I don't. I mean, yeah, it's great. They get, I guess they get a trophy, cut down the nets, but they're not going anywhere. And I'm just saying, why, why do you do that? If, now, next year they are eligible. They went through their four-year period. Merrimack, I think it's a school in New York or something. But I'm just like, they, they shouldn't be in the tournament until they become eligible. Well, I mean, so does the does there is there a team in that tournament that replaces them? You mean, well, Fairleigh Dickinson was the loser yesterday. So he, they go. They go. Yes, they go. Uh I guess I don't really have a problem with it. I okay. mean, they're playing in the they're playing in the conference, so if you advance to the conference tournament or everybody gets into the conference tournament, I, I guess I don't have a problem with it. I don't understand why a team would have to sit four years when that, you're making that's the That's a good point, too. That is, to I me. Mean, either, either you're in or you're not. What is it, like a trial? Like I, I just... It's... I, I think... For, do you remember when Spring Hill, yes. way back, went to Division Two? How many... How, what did they do? Sit out five years? Yeah, it's just silly. Yeah, I, that I agree with. Now, that's another point. I, I, that's way too long. Yeah. All right? You're right. Maybe sit out a year... But well, four I guess, years, why are we years? sitting out at all? It's not like you're jumping from NCAA to some other organization. You're jumping up, you know, for lack of a better term, a classification within the NCAA. It's not like you're a new member coming out from coming from outside. I, I think that I think that rule is just dumb. I'm sure an administrator could tell us a more legitimate reason as to why they have a transition period, but it just doesn't make sense. All right. The other teams that qualified last night, because you may wind up getting one of these teams in our March Madness uh, contest, uh, which we'll uh, be talking about periodically throughout the morning show. Charleston, boy, they're like, Mark, they're 31-3 and three this year. Talk about a team flying under the radar. 31-3, and three, Charleston. And here's the deal. Had they lost to North Carolina Wilmington, they wouldn't have gone. Yeah. They wouldn't have gone. Also, Oral Roberts, they beat North Dakota State. So those are the teams that made it. We'll have one tonight, Big Sky, Montana State, Northern Arizona. A lot of the Power Five uh, conferences get underway today. Uh, let's say the teams that didn't finish so well, like the SEC, got two games coming up. So, uh, you know, we'll be following that. Um, 
I guess the big story across the NFL, they had their deadline yesterday for uh, franchising or signing and all this. Daniel Jones signed a four-year deal with the Giants. That was a, a, a big sticking point up there, like 160. But the big story was Lamar Jackson. So the deadline was 3 o'clock Central Time. Ravens negotiated. Here's the thing. Did you know he doesn't have an agent? He does his own negotiating, which is really, really rare. They couldn't, they couldn't work out a deal. So they place what they call the non-exclusive franchise, which means you're still under, in a sense, you're still obligated to the Ravens. You'll get 32 mil, but you can go out and negotiate with other teams. And if another team gives you an offer, the Ravens, number one, can either match that offer and keep you, or number two, let you walk and they get two first rounders. And Yahoo Sports has come out right away, according to sources, and, and stated three teams that are not going to pursue Jackson, Atlanta, Washington, and the Panthers. So two teams in the Saints division, apparently, if you believe these sources, are not going to go after Lamar Jackson. Well, from what, what little I've read, the, the phone ain't ringing at all uh, for <laughs> Lamar. Um, which I guess is a little surprising. I mean, I think we've gotten to the point in this league where um, if you want a quarterback, elite or otherwise, you're going to have to pay out the wazoo for it. Here's but the problem. I'm, I am a little surprised that there isn't more, more action for Lamar. Nick and I just had this conversation. Look, I see it both ways. I really do. He's a former MVP, Mark. Give him that. But how much has he played the last two years? He's been basically inactive because of injuries and you know as well as anybody you're only as good as you are on the field if you can't play how good are you so are you willing in this case the Ravens by making him a non-exclusive they save a boatload of money if he stays with them so is he worth uh two number ones in other words let's say I'll just pick a team out there let's say the Jets let's say they don't get Aaron Rodgers do they come after him is he worth two number ones Perhaps. I, I mean, if he stays healthy, he is. That's the problem. But that's the problem, I guess, with, with most people. Some some t some players are durable. Gosh, and, and i give an example. Captain Munderland, whoever thought he'd played 10 years in the NFL. Yeah. All right? There's guys out there who, who play. Uh, Willie Anderson, 15 years or whatever. And then there's some guys that come in and can't get by two or three years. You just don't know. It's a gamble. Well, I do think, uh, I think it depends on how close that franchise thinks it is to turning it around, right? I think, like, the Falcons and the Jets, for instance, might be going in different directions. Like, I think there are people that think that Jets team has some talent and ability and are just missing a piece or two. Whereas you look at any team, not just the Falcons, because I don't want to get... I don't want to get sideways with Nick early in the morning, but I think most people would agree that the NFC South teams are are far less likely to be successful next year because they're they're needing multiple pieces. So no. if you can, um, so if you're a team like the the Jets, hypothetically, and we know the Jets are more interested in Aaron Rodgers, could you could you would it be would it make more sense for them to take a gamble on a guy like Lamar who might be beat up as opposed to the to the Falcons well, the, or Carolina, who's going to need multiple the pieces. The Jets feel they've got a contending team minus a quarterback. 
Right, they that's, that's they kind of my real, point. Yeah, they do. They Which feel, is why they're all in on Aaron. Yeah, and they're they're now talking with Green Bay. They're talking with Green Bay. They're trying. They're talking trade now. Now they've met with Green Bay, as I understand it, and now they want to meet with Aaron Rodgers. Okay, and again, if you sign Rodgers, and I, and I go back, and it's probably not fair to, to link the past, but Brett Favre, remember when he came to the Jets? That sure. didn't work out so well. But that doesn't mean it couldn't work out with Rodgers because the Jets feel they're that close to being a contender. And by the way, for those who don't know, the Jets have the longest string of not making the playoffs, something like 12 years. They have not made it to the postseason. So you could understand, you know, how they feel now. You know, like, gosh, 12 years, that's worse than any other NFL team. Nick, you wanted to say something? I heard you kind of bubbling there. Yeah, I just was um, saying that the Atlanta Falcons are not a lesser team. They, they were supposed to have one of the worst teams in the NFL last year, right? We, we almost go 500 <laughs> with no talent on the roster, with a hurt Kyle Pitts, a rookie running back. Cordero Patterson wasn't even playing. Marcus Mariota didn't even know what he was doing out there. Now we got the second most cap space in the NFL, and we got some extra picks. Are you a PR man for that team? Do you work for them? No, but they should hire me. I, I They should. You, I, the Hawks and the Falcons should hire you. Are you. I wish you were this high on the Atlanta Braves because they're the only Atlanta team that's been doing well. By the way, Mark, uh, Nick brought up a good thing about the cap. Our first guest today, who I, we've never had on before, and I, I got in touch with Pro Football Focus, and I did talk yesterday just to introduce myself to Brad Spielberger. He's a cap analyst. I said, thank you. I said, because he was in Indianapolis, of course, for the combine, and that's some of the area I wanted to go. But I'm thinking, so you're a cap analyst. Can you tell us how the Saints are going to come out of that purgatory, that cap purgatory? He said, yeah. He said, I'm in New Orleans. I'm on New Orleans stations all the time talking about that. Excellent. So we'll do that coming up today. Um, Also, one of the things, and we can start this conversation now, uh, and we can get into it uh, in our next uh, segment. Did you guys see first take yesterday? I'm not generally a first take guy, a daily first take guy, but JJ Reddick and Kendrick Perkins. That's that's ridiculous. Man, they got into it. And you know what? I thought JJ brought up some interesting points. So for those that don't know, they were talking about Nikola Jokic, right? And whether or not he was a shoe and MVP. And JJ Reddick essentially accused Kendrick Perkins of uh well he accused Perkins of accusing NBA MVP voters of being racially biased towards white players yeah when talking about MVP votes well and it was a fascinating debate yeah he made a tweet last week and it said since 1990 only 3 players have won the MVP that weren't top 10 in scoring Dirk Steve Nash and Nikola Jokic. And there's one common denominator between those right. three players. Let, let me, when I saw this, Nick and Mark, let me ask you. I think, okay, it's it's one thing to come out. So how many people vote and how many are, are Caucasian and how many are black? That's what I'd like to know. Well, yesterday, Perk said that 80% of the voters are white males. The rest, the other 20% aren't. That's a fact, according to Perks. 
perk statement. I have no idea. But to to it's important that because J.A. Reddick accused of him insinuating it was racial and Perk said, no, no, it wasn't. But the uh, entire quote was, do you know who those three guys were? Steve Nash, Jokic, and Dirk Nowitzki. Now, what do those guys have in common? I'll sit, Maybe I'll let it really, sit there and marinate. You think about it. Maybe he's just really pro-American because Steve Nash is from Canada. Yeah. Dirk's from Germany. And so uh, J.J. Reddick wanted to know, well, why'd you stop at 1990? Yeah. Because in 87 and 89, Magic Johnson won the MVP, which completely blows Perk's argument out of the water. Now, Jordan was the other one in that three-year time span. But things got incredibly heated. Um, and then they started talking about stat padding, and, 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 and J.J. was talking about how um, Jokic doesn't stat pad and... You know, Perk called cap on that, and they went back and forth. And I, I thought both made some really interesting points, but boy, it got it got pretty heated. And and it, I'm curious, do you guys, it, do you think there's some sort of the the only of those three, Nick? I think only the only one I would take exception with was Steve Nash won the MVP that year. And, and a lot of people do because I think he won the MVP the year Kobe averaged like thirty four points a game or something um but he was and and they pointed this out but kobe was also on a team that was like barely 500 but this is where you get into what is a what do you define as an mvp and and see me me and uh steven root went really in depth on this on our double team podcast on wnsp now where you can find any of your podcasts including that one i'm Uh, sorry just thought i want to get in on the plug um, but I see, I think the issue is people are mad that we gave Jokic the MVP last year. He averaged a triple double, basically what he's doing this year, but they were only the sixth seed last year. So right there, barely making the playoffs. Now they're the guaranteed one seed best record in their conference. And he's still averaging a triple double and making his team better. So it's like this year, you have to give him the MVP. There's no question. But now knowing what we know now, maybe last year, we should have gave it to Joel Embiid, who had a better record and was averaging like 30 and 14. See, this is where, uh, and we got to take a break, so we'll pick this up, because I do, where I do think Perk made an interesting comparison is why is it that we we applaud Jokic for the triple-double, but we're hating on Russell Westbrook for all the triple-doubles he had. And see, but in his... By defending that statement and using Russell Westbrook, he's proving J.J. Reddick's point, which is you're making it all about race. The ball is tipped, and there you are. You're running for your life. You're a shooting star. And all the years, no one knows just how hard you work. But now it shows in one shining moment. 6.23, there it is. The first of many times you will hear that music. When you do, be the first to call Nick at 694-1055 for our WNSP March Madness Matchup Challenge. That's right. Uh, Wednesday, a week from today, at Moe's Downtown, you qualify. Come on by. We will be giving teams, assigning teams to our contestants If your team wins the 
March Madness NCAA tournament, you win a couple of things. A TV from Bailey's TV and Mattress and two one-hour wave runner rides from Gulf Coast Water Rentals uh, right here in Mobile on Dog River. They're the only uh, wave runner rental in Mobile. So uh, that's okay, too. If you don't get qualified with us or the final drive, there'll be eight open spots that we're going to give away the day of our party. Did we get a contestant? Who's our latest contestant there, Nick? That would be David. All right, David. Nice work. Way to get up early with us and be uh, be ready for the sounder. So we'll do that a couple times throughout the course of our day here on WNSP. Yeah, and, and again, to rehash, we've actually had people walk-ins win. So even if you don't get qualified, don't give up. You get, just come to Moe's and you may win it. It's happened before. It can happen again. Hey, on the uh, on the uh, MVP thing, and again, you know, there's always going to be scrutiny on MVPs. Heck, we always talk about it when the, the Hall of Fame, and there's always like, how come this guy didn't get in or that? So, you know, I don't I don't follow, you know, I don't analyze it and, and look at the all the stats and who should have won. But last year when you mentioned about, like, Denver and, and Jokic, wasn't, as I recall, that team was depleted with injuries. That guy carried that team into the playoffs. I mean, if he wasn't there, they wouldn't have – I don't even know if they would have even qualified for the postseason, Nick, because they, they were minus their key players, the backcourt players. Everybody was hurt, it seemed like. So, you know, I mean, you could make an argument anyway. I mean, you could dice the numbers any way you want. I don't know about – and again, I'd really want to see that list of MVP, you know, to go on and say that, you know, it's racial in nature and how many blacks and how many whites vote on this. I, I hate to hear stuff like that, though. I really do. You would hope that you could, you know, break away from stuff like that. And whoever, you know, you vote, you, you know, obviously not everybody's going to agree with everybody who wins the MVP. But uh, that's about the first time I've ever heard something like that where it comes down to well, an MVP in any league. Reddick certainly Touched a nerve with Perk because Perk got real animated and got real defensive real quick. But there's no denying or hiding the fact that he insinuated it was race-related initially. Now, he tried to back down from that during yesterday's broadcast, uh, but it certainly was uh, racially charged. At least, uh, Do you agree or disagree with that that, that first comment, Nick, that, that we, we talked yeah, about? Yeah, it, it, it seemed like... It. I will say, maybe unpopular opinion here, I, I do know that J.J. Reddick's been getting a lot of um, love and popularity from him, him going on first take and calling out all the bull crap or whatever. But at the same time, it's like, dude, it's first take. This is what the show is. Like, You can only come on and, and call out like what makes the show entertaining for everyone so many times, right? Yeah, so he comes on and he talks about this is the problem with first take is that we have all these 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 um, unsupported uh, uh, rants or or, or um, that that wind up being narratives that turn into narratives and and he he said that was a negative. I'm with you. That's kind of what first take is all about. Now, what I didn't like was Molly jumped in. And Molly was like, "Hey, this isn't. We're not. We're not promoting any specific narrative. These. This is you saying what you think. This is what Perk thinks he's saying. We don't support or promote. Well, you kind of do because before the segment started, you did this whole intro with the two of them. So you absolutely, absolutely promoted. 
Um, and I don't have a problem with that, but let's call it what it is. I understand what, what, what JJ Reddick was saying, but you're kind of supporting that idea by coming on the show and, right. and, and participating in that. So I, I favor Reddick. Okay. But, but wait, I'm going to tell you why. It, it, totally. You'd never get why we were offered Kendrick Perkins to be a guest on this show last week and I filled out all the paperwork and got everything in and then we got turned down. Ooh, that would have been See, been good I don't want to say I hold a grudge. <laughs> well, you know what I don't... Interesting about Perkins, though, and one thing we'll have to get into later, it's pretty clear that he is in favor of whoever scores the most points to be in the running for MVP. Uh, and that's always been an issue for me uh, in the world of basketball. Uh, there's so much more to the game. But we'll get into all of that coming up. we got plenty left. It's the first day of the SEC tournament, basketball tournament as well. We're going to turn our attention to um, pro football focus and the salary cap. So get your protractors and calculators out. It's the opening kickoff. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. What, a, what an unbelievable feeling. What an unbelievable honor. I'll start with to thank Vanessa. Thank you so much for the video, for the introduction. I think you are here in the building. Thank you for being here. I know can't begin to tell her how much it means to me. Uh, I love you, sister. I'm proud to be your brother. I'm proud to be an uncle to your lovely girls. 633, welcome back in the opening kickoff. We're just getting started here on WNSP. Very uh, moving tribute yesterday. Paul Gasol's number was retired at the Lakers game. Ironically, they played Memphis where he started his career. Uh, we didn't have that particular clip, but a very moving uh, uh, comments by Gasol on Kobe Bryant, his teammate. They won a couple of championships, so uh, that occurred at the uh, Lakers game last night. So we're going to talk some football now. For the first time from Pro Football Focus, I want to introduce uh, Brad uh, Spielberger. Brad, welcome to the show. Good morning. How are you today? Yeah, good morning. Thanks for having me. How are you guys doing? Oh, I'm wonderful. I, I got it. As I told Mark, I got a chance to talk to you. And, you know, I, most of this conversation was going to be about the combine and who's good and how good is Anthony Richardson. But then you told me that you're a cap analyst expert. Wow. Uh, and, and, yep, then, yep. and, of course, the first thing that comes to mind, how in the heck are the Saints going to work their way out of cap purgatory? Yep, and that's what they do every offseason at this point, and, and I think it was honestly not as bad this offseason as, as it has been in years past. They've already gotten started with a bunch of restructures on a lot of their contracts. They have a couple more to go. We'll probably see, you know, Cameron Jordan and Marshawn Lattimore's deals redone. I think maybe we see um, Andres Pete get cut or potentially rework his deal as well. Um, and then, of course, Jameis Winston now with Derek Carr in the fold. He'll probably be a release as well. So will this Saints squad with Derek Carr coming aboard be similar to what we saw this past year? Or are there going to be necessitated changes? And I believe wasn't the figure like they were $55 million over the cap? Something like that? Yep, they were up, up in that range. And uh, I think it is going to be most of the nucleus of what you see right now. And then you add in the draft picks. 
Um, and that will be the team you're looking at. I don't think they're going to add uh, any big-name free agents. I guess they did go out and add the safeties last year and Marcus May and Tyron Matthew and a couple other small pieces. But you're not going to see any big splashes. I think Derek Carr was the splash. And then you're hoping for some growth and development from the young guys like Trevor Penning and Chris Olave, and then this new rookie class to hopefully get some more contributors in there as well. So you just got back from the Combine. I have a hard time wrapping my head around this Anthony Richardson stuff. I, I don't take away the fact that, you know, he 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 did he excelled at the track stuff, but yet I look at Florida. He had only 13 starts, um, interceptions to touchdowns, not all that great. They really didn't do that well. So why all the fuss over Anthony Richardson about being a high number one pick? Yeah, you know, I think the same was kind of the case for Will Evans in Kentucky. But but for Richardson specifically, um, I think the big thing for me is people are calling him this massive project and that he's so raw and all these things. And, yes, he needs to complete more than 53% of his passes and needs to show growth in some areas. But the big one is he's very good at avoiding sacks. We like to track something called the amount of pressure the quarterback takes and then how, how often that converts into a sack. And he was top ten in the country in not letting pressures convert into sacks. So very good at avoiding that, and that's a huge, huge asset for a quarterback. We talk about Patrick Mahomes and all the incredible things he does. The thing we don't talk enough about, frankly, is how good he is in that area. Take zero sacks in the Super Bowl, you know, against an Eagles defensive line that was setting records for the amount of sacks they'd had. Um, and quarterbacks are very much so responsible for a lot of that. So I mean, that's a big asset. And then you just look at, you know, you're going to hear comparisons to Josh Allen and those type of players where if you can fix his accuracy, maybe tweak his mechanics a little bit, which I've heard is already happening in his pre-draft training, then he could take that step and be one of those special, special talents. Is there anything that happened in the combine in your mind, and we're talking to uh, Brad Spielberger with uh, Pro Football Focus, that would have you believe that Bryce Young will not be the number one quarterback taken? No, I still think he will be, and I think you might find this interesting. I had a couple conversations with some personnel people at clubs and kind of said, hey, you know, are you guys concerned about his size coming in at 5'10 and a half and 204 pounds? And all three, three different teams I spoke with said, we actually think that the media, you guys, um, uh, find his size more of a concern than we do. Like, we get that the NFL historically has had these measurables and had these thresholds of what they want to see in a player – but we now think that you guys are almost projecting onto us and think we're doing the same thing. But they all said his tape is special. His pocket presence and poise is some of the best they've ever seen in college. Um, he can make every throw. Yes, he is a bit small, both in height and in stature, a little bit slender, um, but avoids contact pretty well as well. Um, and is just such a good talent otherwise that they think he can get around those issues. Had one batted pass the entire season this past year. Like, he does a lot to mitigate the size concerns, and I think he is going to be the first quarterback taken still. Brad, uh, Mark Heim here. Thanks so much for jumping aboard. Uh, I'll, I'll throw you a little bit of a curve here. Uh, Lamar Jackson, uh, which teams out there, from what all indication appears, the phones ain't exactly burning up. Uh, what teams out there would be interested? And then let me throw that salary cap, cap question in there. Who out there can afford him? 
Yeah, so I think it was kind of a weird response yesterday. I won't dive fully into how bizarre I think it was that, you know, for the first time I've ever seen, we have half a dozen teams say they're not interested in a former MVP um, that can be had for two first-round picks when, you know, other quarterbacks recently have been traded for a whole lot more than that. Yeah. But, um, you know, the one team that didn't say they're not that they're out of the running was the Las Vegas Raiders. They actually came out and said via Diana Rossini of ESPN that, you know, they are going to explore every option and they would be open to maybe signing Lamar Jackson. So they obviously need a quarterback. Um, maybe they do extend an offer sheet to him. Um, and then the Washington Commanders, uh, they need to clear some cap space, but they have a lot of ways to do that. Um, and, and so they can. Um, they also didn't say anything yesterday. They, are, of course, are desperate to add a, you know, a legit quarterback in Washington, obviously you know, close geographically to him in Baltimore. So maybe a, a short trip for him to head over there and hear them out. Um, I think those teams maybe enter the fold. Um, the issue is I don't think either of those owners is going to give him the fully guaranteed contract he wants either. Uh, so we'll see how this whole thing plays out. Brad, by the way, is located up in Queens, New York. So you get your fill of Jets information, I would have gathered. <laughs> so, I'll be in the building today, yeah. Yeah, so uh, does Aaron Rodgers hook up with the Jets? Or where does he go, or does he retire? You know, at this point, I think it is just either the Jets or the Packers. And if the Packers really don't want him, which I kind of don't believe, uh, but if they really do want to move on to Jordan Love and, and restart the whole process, um, I wouldn't be shocked if he just hangs him up. You know, I don't think he's going to be waiting in the wings and, and, and trying to you know, get some team to be interested in him. It's not, you know, he cares a lot about optics and has a lot of pride and all those things. So I think if the Jets can get this thing done, they obviously flew out to meet him in California. Um, then, then he'll be a New York Jet and, and truly follow the Brett Favre path. Um, or if not, he might just ha- just retire and, and call it a good career. So do you believe that the Jets are just a quarterback away from being a playoff contender? I really do. They, they were so bad at quarterback this past season. I mean, below replacement level, um, it, it was Zach Wilson with Mike White, whoever they threw out there, uh, was really, really bad. Um, and the fact they were around 500 anyway in a tough conference and a tough division in the AFC East, um, I do. I think you, you, I mean, Aaron Rodgers too. I think even if you add like a, like a Derek Carr, hypothetically, they become a playoff team. I think if you add Aaron Rodgers, they become a legitimate contender. So let me ask you this, getting back to the combine, the five players that you felt really enhanced their draft status. Yeah. So I'll start with number one is Northwestern defensive lineman, Ade Adebaware. Uh, he measured in at 282 pounds and then ran a 44940 um, and, and was great in a bunch of other drills as well. Uh, I mean, just, you know, Anthony Richardson, obviously, going to be number one on everyone's list you talked to, had maybe the greatest performance for a quarterback we've ever seen. But I put Ade Adebaware right up there. Uh, I then would say Darnell Washington, a tight end from Georgia. Um, for his agility drills, so the, the three cone and the short shuttle, to be as good as they were at 275 or 65 pounds, I think it is a really, really big dude that we know can block as well as a tackle, basically, um, to also show that lateral agility, I think, goes a long, long way um, and, and could be really special for him going forward. So those guys are the top three for me. Uh, I then would say Christian Gonzalez, the Oregon cornerback. I, I think he already was going to be a top 10 pick, but I now think that's set in stone. I mean, he, you see him on the podium. He looks like a linebacker up there. He's a big, big dude. Um, and he ran a 4-3-8-40. Again, did well in the, in the explosive drill. So, he, you know, his broad jump, his, his vertical leap, all those things were very impressive as well. Um, let's see. To round it out with the last one, I will go with uh, another quarterback. I'll go with Julius Brent at Kansas State, a guy who tested off the charts in a ton of different areas. Um, 41 and a half inch vertical was the highest, um, you know, or one of the highest of any corners. 
Uh, his broad jump was the highest of any player in the entire combine at 11 feet and 6 inches. Um, so just, you know, things you want to see, explosiveness from a corner, guy that can get up in the air and make plays. Um, I think he, he, he did very well for himself this past week. A couple other things. So we, we talked about Bryce Young. Uh, what do the Bears do? What's your gut telling you about the Bears at number one? Uh, they're, they're looking to shop the pick. They got any takers? They do. They're going to, I think, at this point, make a trade. And I think there are a handful of takers. So, you know, Indianapolis at four might until the need to jump Houston at number two. Uh, I then think uh, the, the Carolina Panthers at number nine would certainly be interested. Uh, even before then, maybe Las Vegas at seven gets into the mix. Um, so you already have, I think, at least those three teams. I then think you do look at, you know, if you want to go really far down, but Tennessee at 11, I think, wants to just reset the entire clock down there. They haven't released Ryan Tannehill yet, but I do not expect him to be back, at least on a contract he currently has. He's owed $29 million uh, in 2023, and I do not see them paying that. So all those four teams, I think, will be in the mix, um, and, and maybe we'll, we'll be making some godfather offers in a trade to go yeah. for one. All right, and finally, as as a Saints guy, I I, I got to give some love to our, the Tampa Bay Bucks in the NFC South because uh, misery loves company when it comes to cap purgatory. What what do the Bucks do to get out from under that th- uh, massive number? Yeah, they're in an even worse situation because uh, I was not even have a quarterback at the yeah. moment, and we have around fifty million dollars over the cap still as of today. So. They're going to have to restructure a ton of players. Chris Godwin will get restructured. They already cut Donovan Smith, their left tackle, um, which will eventually clear some money. Uh, they're probably going to have to restructure Shaq Barrett, the edge rusher, even though he just tore his ACL. Um, they'll restructure Vita Vea, the big interior defensive lineman, uh, Carlton Davis, the cornerback, um, and then you know maybe an extension for Mike Evans. You can clear some cap space by an extension. Uh, I'm just rattling things off. Yeah. You know, it, it's, re- it's restructuring a ton of players. Uh, moving on from Leonard Fournette, moving on from Donovan Smith, moving on from Cameron Brait, the tight end. Um, I mean, they're, they're going to make they're going to make moves on 15 players just to get under the gap. All right, let me ask you about Will Anderson. I, I mentioned about Bryce with Alabama. Where does Anderson? How high does Anderson go? I still think he's going to be a top five pick. Uh, I think it, it looks good for him to measure in at 253 pounds. Um, you, you mentioned the Chicago Bears at one, or even if they do trade, let's say down to two or four. Um, you know, they, their defense, you know, a standard 4-3, they like big defensive ends. Um, and, and when Anderson measure, uh, weighed 243 pounds in college, I, I was concerned, like, is he big enough to play in that Chicago defense? But with the way he tested, the way he looked, and, and how he came in at 253 pounds, I think he can play for any team in the NFL. I would be surprised if he's not a top-five pick. Um, I think he will go somewhere in there. It's just a matter of who. Brad Spielberger with Pro Football Focus. Stetson Bennett, does he get drafted? He will. I think he'll be a day three pick. I think he'll go in the sixth or seventh round. Obviously, did not do himself any favors with, you know, his arrest. The ball is ticked, and there you are. You're running for your life. You're a shooting star. And all the years, no one knows just how hard you worked. But now it's It's such a great song. I mean, I don't, I don't know if it, if it. By the way, that's the sound of WNSP March Madness matchup challenge qualifier number two already today. That's right, we started early. Our party is at Moe's next Wednesday downtown. We're qualifying fifty-eight people between the opening kickoff and uh, the final drive. You get qualified. You show up to Moe's. 
You receive one of the teams playing in the NCAA tournament. That team wins the grand prize TV from Bailey's TV and mattress and two one-hour Wave Runner rides from Gulf Coast Water Rentals, the only Wave Runner rental in Mobile. Uh, it's a pretty cool grand prize. Uh, th that TV is always a big plus around tournament time uh, and leading into the spring. And, of course... Uh, I what's, think it's, what's more what's more fun in the spring and summer than hitting the, uh, some wave runners, man? I think it's a smart TV too, rather than a, a very smart TV. Wow! <laughs> uh, can you can you get a TV these days? That is that, that, I think I, they're all just kind of. Well, they tell me that, and then we just got a new TV the other day, and it said, "Oh, it's got all these things on it, right?" So, and again, in the technological world, where Lee is kind of like an outsider, very outside, so. We get this t television set. They're mounting it. Uh, the people are putting it in and so forth. We, 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 we did some reconstruction of the living room. And it says, oh, look at all, all these apps on there, right? Guess what? You got to pay for those apps. They just don't come in for free. <laughs> like, you know, let's go to this one. Uh, okay. And you sign in here and so forth. So, yeah, it's smart. But uh, I'm just not smart enough to realize it. Do we have a, uh, a qualifier? Yeah, Will is our next qualifier. All right, Will. Nice job, sir. We look forward to seeing you down there at Moe's on uh, Wednesday. And good luck to you, sir. Fear not, there'll be uh, other chances today, as, as well as some Chick-fil-A, too. How about the afternoon show, too? They're qualifying, too, aren't they? They are. I would they hope. Yep. I would hope. That's right. And that's actually me uh, who's sitting in the afternoon qualifying those people. I'm sitting in on the final drive throughout this week. So what happened not to not getting uh, enough of me in the morning. You can get some of me in the afternoon. Our NFL outsider doing double duty. So what happened to Michael? Michael's still there. I got Michael keeping your seat warm, and we got Corey keeping Mark's seat warm. All right, let me ask you this. Since you, it was kind of and then my butt imprint right, this in chair is uh, ready for let me. Let me, let me ask you in. this, Nick, as far as Moe's and so forth. And I've never really known, how does this work? When when somebody comes in there, let's say, do they get their team? They, they can pick it right away? Do they have to wait around? Is there a certain time that you pick your team? How does What's the uh, MO on this? Sure. So when you get there, you're going to verify that you are there, and we'll mark uh, a note on, that, on our list that you're there, and we'll put your name into the big pot. And then at 6, maybe not directly at 6, I'll say 6.10, then we'll do the drawing, and anyone who doesn't show up, that's when some of our uh, random people or people who are just coming in to qualify live, that's where y'all can try and get in. But everyone who calls in and qualifies, you got a guaranteed spot. You just got to get there. All right, So, and my point is this. So you can't get there during the show, let's say, at 3.30 and just pick a name, and then if you have something else to do, leave, right? You have to be there at a certain time, like you said, 6.10? Correct. So demanding. Yeah. But if you hey, get there at 3.30, you can hang out for uh, two and a half hours. Yeah. I mean, if, if you if you want to win the big prize, you got to run with the big dogs. Am I right? You got to make a commitment. You got to be all in. That's right. How, how bad do you want to get a TV and a jet ski ride? Yeah. How bad do you want it? That's right. The Masters is coming up. Yeah. Don't you want to watch that on a new TV? Yeah, I think you do. Or on a jet ski. Right. Or in your case, after you find out how to pay for Netflix, Cobra Kai is coming out soon. When? I don't know. I just threw it out there just to get you all excited to pay for Netflix. <laughs> we, we already are paying for it. Oh, okay. But there's so many others on there, too. I right. use Netflix as an example. 
Did you see where Netflix has come out and said, well, actually, it's not new that you're going to be charged more if somebody, let's say, in the family is picking it up? Yeah. Yeah. In other words, it's yours exclusively. You will be penalized if you farm it out to members of your family. Yeah. It's a uh, it's a big topic of conversation because years ago they sent out a tweet about, like, sharing is caring or something like they actually wanted you to share the password but and the other thing seems I, to be hurting their bottom line a little bit the other thing in netflix and i haven't seen the follow-up supposedly you could get a lower rate if you're if you wanted to get commercials has that happened at all no? ads ad supported uh yes um i i don't know I don't mind. I don't mind that. You could be a customer service rep for for Netflix with all this news and notes. I don't. I'm not a big fan of Netflix. <laughs> I like Hulu and Roku better. Okay. The uh, we should do a Lee's television segment of the day. <laughs> Let's not, <laughs> because the shows that I watch now, people probably never heard of. I think that's probably pretty accurate. Did you guys do at least follow up on the one I told you about, the basketball one, amateur? Any of you? No. No. Nick, no, right? No, he's saying no. No, okay. So much for that then. So I don't think I need to do anything uh, as far as a segment because nobody listens to me. Well, we hear you. Does that count? Yes, but it was – I'm surprised. It was a good basketball uh, movie. Woody Harrelson coming out with a new one soon. Yeah. Eh. Kind of I'm ready for that Air movie. Yes. The Air movie about – Air Bud? The dog? No. No, rest in peace. Airbud's gone? He passed away? (laughs) How old do you think dogs can live for? Well, all dogs go to heaven, but still. (laughs) I didn't know if there were multiple dogs used to shot the to shoot the film. Was there just one Airbud? Usually it's a multiple. Switch him out like Mary Kate and Ashley on Full House. Yeah. Do you call the Olsen twins dogs? I watched a, a movie featuring a dog. A while back, and it said there was like five different dogs that participated. See? There might know. be an Air Bud somewhere, or an offspring of Air Bud. I know they did Air Buddies. Yeah, where he, she, tag he team had children. So much pressure on that the offspring to live up to to dad. Right. The life of a child star. Yeah. You know, four star game with a five star name. Am I right? <laughs> Ross Jackson, Dan Jennings, some Chick-fil-A, and a chance for March Madness uh, qualification. All that coming up in hour number two. Stay with us right here on the Sports Station WNSP. On the country's first FM all sports radio station, 105.5 FM WNSP and WNSP.com. The latest sports news, traffic, weather, and timely guests with Mark Heim and Lee Shermanian. The opening kickoff. 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 Here are Mark and Lee. All right, hour number two. Hour number one just kind of came and went. 
Real busy. Thanks for making us part of your morning. It's the opening kickoff. Mark and Lee, we're broadcasting from the studios of WNSP. All right, let's get the hour started off with some headlines where uh, Lamar Jackson right now is what they call a free agent, but... Well, actually, I'm sorry. He's franchised, but... There's a term, he's not exclusive franchise, which means he can go out and negotiate. He does not have an agent. Wrap your head around that. He does not have it. He does his own negotiating, and he can go talk to any team he wants now. And if that team wants him, then the Ravens have to match that offer to keep him, but they would get two first rounders. So with this non exclusive franchise tag on Jackson, he uh, would bring in $32 million, but of course, if he goes out and works out a deal, he could possibly get a lot more. Uh, the Giants did re-sign uh, their quarterback, Jones, for a four-year, $160 million deal. On the uh, March Madness scene, we had five teams that are in now uh, to the tournament. Uh, Gonzaga, uh, Charleston, Earl Roberts, Merrimack is they won their tournament, but they're not in. They were still ineligible. Their fourth year of trying to become eligible in that NEC conference. So Farley Dickinson, the team that lost, goes to the NCAA tournament. And also Northern Kentucky tonight, the Big Sky, the uh, they'll have a rep uh, getting in. That's the only one this evening. we got a lot of the Power Five conferences beginning. Let's talk Saints. Uh, they got a new car driving the ship. That's uh, Derek Carr. He was signed. And who better to talk about that than Ross Jackson with Crescent City Sports. Ross, too long since we've had you on. Good morning. Thanks for getting Carr to come to New Orleans. Good job. <laughs> hey guys, good morning. Yeah, you know that new car smell here in uh, New Orleans, and they didn't have to pay a price tag near whatever team, more likely the Baltimore Ravens, are going to have to pay to keep uh, Lamar Jackson around. Appreciate you guys as always for having me on. All right, let me ask you this: Are the Saints that much better with Carr at quarterback? I think they can be that much better with Carr at quarterback. They still have a lot of work left to do over the course of this offseason. Carr doesn't finish the job for them, but it's a really, really, really good start uh, for their free agency period. And it gives them a clear direction in terms of who they intend to build this offense around and who they intend to play the 17 or more games in 2023. So I think that cohesion alone does make them Let's put them at least in a little bit of a better position, but they've still got to figure out their running back spot, build up their depth, fix their defensive line, add a contested catch wide receiver. So I think there are a lot of those things that still have to happen, but I think Derek Carr can make you better in 2023 than you were in 2022 for sure. Who are some of the players they may have to get rid of to get rid of that cap uh, problem? Uh, very few. I don't think you're going to see many cap casualties here. There are a couple that the Saints could lean towards. Um, you know, Jameis Winston's an obvious one, but Jameis Winston's time in New Orleans was effectively already done. I don't think that has anything to do with the salary cap itself. Uh, you're watching maybe some of the depth on the offensive line in terms of James Hurst. He saves the Saints a pretty penny if they decide to uh, move on from him, but they could also save that same amount of money by restructuring him. Andrus Pete could be, you know, one of those cap casualties. They could designate him as a post shoot one cut, save over eleven million dollars. But again, I think that that would be more so around how much do they want to pay Andrus Pete in twenty twenty three, based on his previous availability concerns versus the talent that he's shown on the field. Those things. So I don't think you're going to see many players cut in order to get under the salary cap. I think you'll continue to see more restructures the way the Saints usually approach this. The big thing to watch is are they going to be able to retain some outgoing free agents? Guys like David Onyemata and Caden Ellis over on the defensive side, for instance. All right, let me ask you this. Do you do you like, and this is more of an opinion, 
did the Saints mm-hmm. do better in keeping Derek and uh, getting Derek Carr rather than going after Rodgers or maybe even Lamar Jackson? Yeah, I think so. And, you know, particularly with Rodgers, look, the Saints are looking for somebody that can be a multi-year solution and potentially long-term solution at quarterback. So they're not right back in this very same position. You go to Aaron Rodgers, trade for him, give him a contract. There's a good chance he probably retires on you next year or at best after 2024. That's not as then you end up in the exact same situation then as you were now. So you don't really solve your problem. You just kind of put a Band-Aid on it. Derek Carr gives you an opportunity to potentially solve the problem for you know six, seven, eight years uh, moving forward here at only 32 years old. The Lamar Jackson one's a little bit tougher because, yeah, sure, two first-round picks is not a lot to ask, but what's the contract going to look like? Do you have the scheme and do you have the coaching staff that can support a quarterback like Lamar Jackson and play him to his strengths? And do you want to potentially really waste your time? Because really this is a negotiating tactic by the Baltimore Ravens. Baltimore Ravens put this non-exclusive franchise tag on Lamar Jackson so that Lamar Jackson's market is either proved to them by somebody submitting an offer sheet or they get the opportunity to prove to Lamar Jackson what his market is versus what he thinks it is by seeing what some of the offers are or, as you're seeing right now, teams refusing to make offers because no team wants to dedicate a bunch of resources to negotiating a fully guaranteed contract, which no owner really wants to set as a precedent, so no team wants to be a part of that. But then you also you know, funnel in all of your resources to negotiate this contract with a high-level uh, quarterback in an unprecedented situation without an agent, only for the Baltimore Ravens to say, cool, thanks for doing our job for us. We'll match that offer. Thanks, Lamar. You're still here in Baltimore. And so the New Orleans Saints keeping their nose out of that fight was a wise idea. They've wanted Derek Carr from the very beginning, so they went and they got the guy that they wanted. All right, uh, Ross Jackson, our guest here on WNSP. Uh, about five days ago or so, Alvin Kamara pleaded not guilty. I'm not a judge. I'm not a lawyer. I saw the video, so whatever. I guess we'll just kind of go and see what happens. Is there any way that he's playing for the Saints in the fall? Yeah, there's a chance that he is. I mean, there's a, still a chance that this whole, you know, I don't know enough about the, you know, the, the same thing. I don't know enough about the law to be able to really run down the list of possibilities here, but there's a chance that this gets settled outside of court in some way. You know, Alvin Kamara pleading not guilty basically tells you that he wants them to, he wants them to sentence him. He's not about to sentence himself by pleading guilty, all of these other things, which is, you know, just principle upon how you handle yourself in a courtroom. And then, so the main thing that I can say though, with all confidence is that Whatever happens with Alvin Kamara, the NFL's investigation will be independent of that. So if he's sentenced, if he's, uh, if it's settled out of court, whatever, the NFL will have its own independent investigation outside of that that will yield discipline. There's a chance that that discipline is a six-game suspension. There's a chance that that discipline is more than a six-game suspension. But according to the NFL's code of conduct policy, violent acts that you know, are sort of alleged in, in, in this whole case are – uh, met with, at, at, at the very least, a six-game suspension, according to the Code of Conduct policy. So there's a chance that maybe Alvin Kamara misses the beginning of the season or the first 10 games of the season or the first eight games of the season, whatever that might be, and then it's back towards the back half of the year or back quarter of the year. So, yeah, there's a chance that he sees the field in 2023. How much of it, though, is the big question. And so the Saints should be looking to invest in that running back position and honestly would be looking to invest in that running back position even if Alvin Kamara were to play all 17 games because – the only other running back in your roster right now is Dino Benjamin. Hypothetically, and, and you, you kind of were going in an area I wanted to get to, mm-hmm. might they, and again, this is hypothetical, reading where Tennessee 
shopping around Derrick Henry. Might the Saints take a look at that and, and, and just get rid of uh, Alvin Kamara? Uh, it's going to be really hard to trade Alvin Kamara when nobody knows how long his suspension is going to be. And while he's facing an active court trial, I don't think trading him is going to yield you a guy like Derrick Henry. You'd probably have to trade a lot more plus Alvin Kamara um, in the hopes of maybe dumping off the salary or something like that. But more than likely, you'd have to convert some of that to a signing bonus so that you can eat some of the salary in order for another team to take him. So I don't really know that there's a way that Alvin Kamara is on the move this offseason, but I also don't know if Derrick Henry is the right target for the New Orleans Saints. If you look at, and actually Cam Jordan was talking about this uh, not too long ago. If you look at the New Orleans Saints, they don't run the ball 30, 40 times, and, and not often. And that's kind of what you have to do for Derrick Henry. And Derrick Henry is one of those guys that the Tennessee Titans, I think, are wise to look to unload right now because he's one of those players at one of those positions that it's better to get to get rid of him a year early than hold on to him for a year too long. So I think the Saints instead should be looking at fresher legs. They could still go to the veteran uh, free agent market, guys like Alexander Madison or Dearness Johnson who can run between the tackles, all these other things. But then get into this draft class. I mean, you have your quarterback situation solved. If you're comfortable enough to draft a running back in the first round, which I personally am not, but if you are, you can go after Bijan Robinson. Maybe he falls out of the first round. You trade up in the second round and grab him. You can grab a Jameer Gibbs out of Alabama. You can get you know another big runner in Roshan Johnson out of Texas. Tajay Spears here locally in New Orleans. There's a lot of options for the New Orleans Saints to find very, very good and very, very uh, effective running backs without having to you know sell the farm to get a guy that might be good enough for you for half a year to a year. Uh, talk about the wide receivers that Carr will have a chance to throw to. Of course, we know about Olave in the year he had. And and I'm curious, again, and I know you've brought this up before, what's the deal with Michael Thomas? Is he gone or is he still on the roster? Yeah, let's start with Michael Thomas because things kind of change now that uh, now that um, Derek Carr is in the building. They'll use Derek Carr, and Derek Carr will more than happily, I'm sure, you know, uh, kind of use himself as leverage to keep Michael Thomas here in New Orleans. Now, Thomas is not going to be able to stay on the contract that he's on right now. Thomas's contract includes by March, if he's on the roster on March 17th of this year, a 30 plus million dollar guarantee that kicks in in 2024. And then if he plays four games in 2023, an additional $30 million guarantee that kicks in in 2024. So over $60 million in guarantees the Saints could take on in 2024 if Michael Thomas is simply on the roster and plays four games in 2023. So that can't be the contract that he comes back on. But now that you have this quarterback that he's clearly excited the Saints have, if you've seen his social media, all those other things, him celebrating the signing, the Saints now have the quarterback that they can go and say, hey, you like Derek Carr. We think Derek Carr can bring you, you know, can, can help you play up to your usual standard. Um, and so we want to redo your contract and bring you back here to play in 2023 on an incentive-laden deal, one that can include percentages of snaps played as well as games played, number of games played, so that you can make sure that you're getting his availability without paying him a ton of money, or you can do performance-based incentives like um, you know, catches, receiving yards, receiving touchdowns, all of those things. If the team makes the playoffs, so on and so forth, there's a lot of different ways they can create a contract that protects them in case they don't have him because of an injury, but then also gets him paid if he goes out there and performs up to his standard. And all in the meanwhile, that would allow the Saints to still be able to further invest in the position by going out and maybe bringing another big hand, you know, big bodied contested catch guy like Mac Collins, who Derek Carr played with last year in, in Las Vegas and has a good relationship with, or could go to the, um, could go to the NFL draft to be able to build out as well. So they can still find another possession receiver, 
Uh, Rashid Shahid's a great deep threat, but he also performs extremely well in the short area of the field, zero to nine yards. Uh, Chris Olave was tagged as a deep threat coming into the NFL, but is incredibly effective between 10 and 19 yards, uh, over 100 uh, passer rating when targeted in that area of the field. Those are the places where Derek Carr is strongest. You add Michael Thomas to that, and then all of a sudden you have this offense that's able to play its West Coast style, get the ball out quickly, attack short intermediate areas, attack the middle of the field. So there's a good chance that Michael Thomas is right back in the New Orleans Saints number in 2023. Never a dull moment, Ross. We really do appreciate it. How can people get the latest on all things New Orleans Saints? Oh, yeah, no problem, guys. Appreciate you as always for having me on. If you uh, are interested in more on what the New Orleans Saints can do around Derek Carr uh, and how he uh, specifically impacts the wide receivers, I've got a new episode of Locked on Saints dropping this morning. Uh, you can find it uh, wherever you get your podcast and on YouTube as well. Just search Locked on Saints. You can find all the written work over at CrescentCitySports.com. And, uh, of course, you know, anytime that I'm fortunate enough to be here, you can always catch me here as well. You can follow me on Twitter at Ross Jackson, NOLA, N-O-L-A. Hey, man, have a great week. Thanks for the time, Ross. Thanks, guys. Appreciate you. Talk to you soon. Yep. Scoreboard, traffic, weather are next, and perhaps a little Chick-fil-A. Dan Jennings at 7.30, Chris Stewart at 8 o'clock, and Connor O'Gara at 8.30. We're rolling along here on a Wednesday edition. It's the opening kickoff right here on the Sports Station WNSP. Hey, everybody. This is Gabe Gross, and you're listening to WNSP 105.5. Chick-fil-A I could eat there seven times a day Where the people laugh and children play Oh, I'm in love with Chick-fil-A All right, 724 and uh, yet another giveaway. What do you got for us today, Lee? Going to go with the Brandon Miller story. Brandon Miller was chosen by the SEC as the player of the year and the freshman of the year. Who was the last SEC player to win both awards in the same year? All right, uh, Brandon Miller, player of the year, freshman of the year. Go back a few years. Who was the last SEC player to get accorded both honors? And by the way, the latest honor, the AP, has chosen uh, Brandon Miller as the player of the year in the uh, SEC. Speaking of the SEC, it gets started today. Uh... I should probably know which games, and I don't. But in Ole like Miss South, yeah, and South Carolina, and then the late game is Georgia and LSU. I saw. You know how much you could get on uh, third uh, on um, on other ticket uh, websites. You can get a uh, third party. Thank you. You can get uh, you can get tickets for those individual games for like two bucks. Really. Yeah, I mean they're not great seats, but there's just there's no interest in those games now. As the tournament goes on, they get more and more expensive. I'm, you know, I, as I said, I, I said this a couple days ago. Connor O'Gara is going to join us at eight thirty. Basically, came out in a story and said that when it comes to the SEC tournament, basically the NCAA selection committee just ignores it. So we're going to get deeper into that. Um, the fact is, you know, let's say uh, does if a team does really well, does it help them in the selection committee's eyes? And according to Connor, it does not or it hasn't, at least in the past. So, you know, there's that. But as far what like what happens like when you get to the let's say the better games like Thursday, Friday, for, yeah, they, instance, they, for instance, Arkansas and Auburn, they go up as the uh, tournament 
goes on because the games get better. Now, there's a little bit of a lull between the final, what I not first round games, but the first games of the of for a lot of teams. There's a little lull. Those are the top notch games, and then you get to the semifinals. There's a little bit of a lull there because I think people don't know who's going to be playing in that game. It's one thing to get championship game tickets because you know at that point it really doesn't matter. You're seeing the championship, but that semifinal where the there's a lot of TBA right there. You can get them for as much as you're paying for the Friday session, I think. By the way, Chris is the winner. So congratulations to Chris. He's got a little Chick-fil-A this morning. Anthony Davis, and what a monster game he had last night for the Lakers. He's carrying that team now. 30 points, 22 rebounds, and they are now in a playoff position, even without LeBron and even without Russell. Uh, they've been winning lately thanks to his contributions. But, uh, yeah, Anthony uh, Davis was the last uh, SEC player to be accorded both honors when he played for Kentucky and that really good Kentucky team he was with. So on the, on the tournament, it's like, okay, Vanderbilt would be the host school in Nashville. Obviously, if, if they're out early, I don't, know, I don't know what kind of even following they have in basketball. I know Kentucky's always had the best following, and that's I don't know how far of a drive it is from Lexington to Nashville. I, you know, and again, I, here's the other thing too, Mark, in, in this day and age of costs and things like that, I wonder, let's say for Alabama, I use it's Alabama. Three hours and 22 minutes. That's not bad. Uh, let's say in the case of Alabama, do fans just say, look, the heck with this. We know we're going to be going to the, the NCAA tournament. Let's just save my money and go there and hope that they go to Birmingham, you know, which I know people are starting to gobble up tickets, hoping that either Alabama and or Auburn are both playing in Birmingham, which seems likely, you know, that the committee would put them there. Just wait for something like that. Or do they do they go? Because how important and again, I'm not, I'm not trying to demean the tournament. I've, obviously, it's not like the uh, Sunbelt tournament where only the winner goes. You know, you're, you're, you may get as many as eight SEC schools that go to the NCAA tournament. Well, I do think I mean, I'm not telling you guys anything you don't already know, but the tournament, the SEC tournament certainly helps in some regards to those teams that are trying to improve their seating or even get into the tournament for a team like Alabama. No, the SEC. And we talk about this every year, right? We talk about uh, other than being a money maker for the conference. What, what are we doing here? Uh, and, and do well, we you just hit it on the head? A yeah. money maker. All right, let's go with Tennessee. For instance, Tennessee didn't finish up so strong. Welcome back in here on a uh, Wednesday edition of the opening kickoff. Mark and Lee from the studios of WNSP. All right, we're going to talk a little baseball now. Normally during the exhibition season, of course, yeah, there's some information, but this year they have the World Baseball Classic. And I'm going to bring in a, a good friend and an occasional co host when Mark's away, Dan Jennings of the Washington Nationals. Dan, uh, good morning. How are you today? Good morning, guys, from beautiful West Palm Beach, Florida. How are you? We're doing great. What's the format? I noticed they've really expanded this World Baseball Classic. And, for, and explain to our listeners what this is all about, because we haven't had it for like five or six years. Why, why is it being held? Why is it important, if in fact it is? And what's the format? 
Well, it's a competition between countries that uh, play baseball. Uh, it, it truly has become a real passionate event for the players because they get an opportunity to wear their country's flag across their chest. And, you know, when you start looking at some of the baseball-rich uh, countries that supply players to Major League Baseball, Dominican, Venezuela, uh, certainly the United States, Cuba, and they're just a pride factor when they get to go against other countries to show their their talent, their strength. Japan comes in, you know, and they have so many guys over the last uh, two decades that have come into this country and uh, and, and perform really well. So, um it's kind of a uh, round-robin type format, and uh, it actually started last night. I saw where uh, the Netherlands beat uh, Cuba, and um, it's going on in different venues uh, throughout the world right now. There's one here in, uh, down in Miami, one out in Arizona, uh, certainly over in, uh, in Japan with the Asian bracket, and it will work its way down to where you'll have a final uh, four and then ultimately they will play uh, they will play for the championship and I know in talking to players guys that have done this in the past uh, man they just rave about the you know looking down and seeing USA across their chest and what it means to them and uh, they take great pride in this there's always a little scariness on the side of the organization because you certainly you know you hope your guys are ready to compete because this is a this is an event where, you know, the emotions are going to be high, passion is high, and these guys have only been in camp for just a couple of uh, a couple of weeks. So, you hope there's no injuries, and uh, each each team has taken plenty of pitching, so no one gets overextended, and uh, they continue to work just like they would be in spring training as they prepare for their WBC games. So, so I was looking at the USA roster. Why is Verlander or Scherzer not on the? And I, I see where they're starting like 41-year-old Adam Wainwright, nothing against him. He's a good pitcher, but, I mean, is that the best we've got? Well, I, you know, it comes down to the player. The player has to feel like, number one, he's completely healthy. Uh, number two, you know, does he want to do it? Some guys have done it in the past, and they don't want to, uh, you know, they don't want to break their spring training routine, and they step aside for other guys that, uh, you know, want that opportunity. And so uh, it's a preference. Usually the organization will step in if a guy is nursing some type of, uh, some type of injury or has an early injury in camp and just say, you know what, you're too valuable. I think you saw that with uh, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. And um, you know that's going to be a, that's going to be a, a hit to the uh, lineup of the Dominican Republic. So uh, there's a big picture here that you got to keep your eye on, and that's that 162 game schedule. Um, but some of this goes to the player themselves if it's uh, it's something that they want to prepare for or step aside and let someone else do it. Look, I, I don't follow the rosters that closely, but when I saw Cuba was in there, and this is the first year I think Cuba's been in this, and they got a lot of Cuban-born ball players in Major League Baseball, and they get beat by the Netherlands? How did that happen? Yeah, I saw that 4-2, to two, and, you know, I, I look, man, just over the last two years, there's been so many Cuban defectors that have uh, reached the major leagues and, and had tremendous success over, uh, 
over the past 20 years. I, I remember when I first started, uh, one of my very first assignments in uh, baseball was to go scout the Cuban national team. This was before they had defected, and uh, wow, there were some of my best memories of international baseball and these guys, they, they truly look like a ma not just a major league team, but a major league team who would have been in the postseason. And uh, that the club is not that strong now because so many of these players have defected over time. Dan Jennings of the Washington Nationals. So in the past, Japan has always been a strong, and I think Otani's playing for Japan, right? Yeah. Yeah. So obviously, who, which team would you right now pick as the favorite to win this? Which country? Yeah, I well, should say which country. I, I think I think the USA because of their not only the depth in their lineup, but also their star pitching power and the Dominican Republic. Uh, I think when you just look at those two lineups. Um, the one thing that Japan always does uh, when they get in this tournament, they're a little more advanced on playing the team aspect of baseball. They do the little things. They, they manufacture runs. Uh, their pitchers are going to be in a little more uh, uh, sync of throwing strikes, you know, and utilizing uh, different pitches where some of our guys are just starting to get to that point where they're stretched out. But on paper, when you look at the lineups, the depth of the lineups, um, I mean, you know, you look in the USA lineup, you got guys like JT Riamuto hitting in the seven or eight spot, and uh, the Dominican lineup, the depth of that, what Nelson Cruz has put together, pretty special. So I would say you're probably going to see a, a USA-Dominican Republic championship. I will urge anybody that's a baseball fan, Saturday night, US, uh, I'm sorry, Dominican and Venezuela will be playing down in Miami. And if you want to see something comparable to the passion and energy of what we love about our college football, tune into that and, uh, and you'll have a treat. You know what I do find fascinating about it, though? You see a lot of these major leaguers playing for countries that you didn't even know they were part of. Isn't Freddie Freeman playing for Canada? Freddie's in Canada. Uh, yesterday we played the Marlins in a spring training game, and then uh, when the game was over, uh, walking back to my car, and I look out on the Marlins practice fields, and Team Israel is there, and I see Ian Kinsler and uh, Brad Osmus, two of the coaches, and so the Israeli team is getting ready to uh, they're practicing here before they go down to Miami, and you know I think that there's. Uh, uh, some ancestry history, you know, that allows some of these players to play for different teams. And uh, it creates it, the good part is when you, you know, what if Japan and USA play and you have Otani matching up against Trout, that's going to create a pretty, uh, that's going to create a pretty good level of excitement for baseball. Before I let you go, I was watching just a little snippet of a game yesterday, and guess what? Some batter got called out because he wasn't in the batter's box in eight seconds. Uh, what's been the reaction down there in the spring training about guys getting called out or not beating the, the pitch clock or the batter's clock or wherever you want to call it? So a few of the hitters I've talked to feel early, like they're rushed. 
And then I talked to a few veteran hitters yesterday. Some of the pitchers are playing a little bit of a mind game. So the, the hitter has to be in the box by eight seconds remaining. And a lot of the veteran pitchers now are on the mound and they're just holding the ball. And the worst thing a batter hates to do is just stand in that box frozen like a statue on top of a trophy. And so that eight seconds can seem like an eternity, and they're just there, and and they can't step out. They can only have one timeout per at bat, and it just puts them in a spot where they're, uh, they're uncomfortable as they wait that eight seconds for the ball to be delivered. Dan, uh, always good to hear your voice, sir. Appreciate you jumping aboard, and uh, we'll be in touch. All right, guys. Y'all have a great week. Take care. Thank you. That's Dan Jennings, ladies and gentlemen. All right, we'll wrap up hour number two next with your phone call, 694-1055. Chris Stewart, top of the hour. Connor O'Gara on March Madness at 830. All right, 742 here on a Wednesday edition. Thanks for hanging with us. It's the opening kickoff right here on the Sports Station WNSP. This is Chris Samuels. You're listening to WNSP 105.5. Roll Tide. And God bless. The ball is tipped. And there you are. You're running for your life. You're a shooting star. And all the years, no one knows just how hard you worked. But now it shows. 746. Another chance to qualify for the WNSP March Madness Matchup Challenge. Party is at Moe's downtown a week from today. We're qualifying 58 of you between now uh, and then and both on the opening kickoff and uh, the final drive. And you're saying 58. Mark, there are more teams in the tournament than that. Indeed, there are. That's right. If you don't qualify, you will have an opportunity to still come by Moe's and get qualified there on location. Up for grabs? It's very simple. We will assign you a team. That team wins the national championship in basketball. You are the winner of two pretty cool prizes. Smart TV from Bailey's TV and Mattress and two one-hour Wave Runner Rides. Uh, wave Runner Rides. Try saying that fast three times. From Gulf Coast Water Rentals. Um, so our thanks to those fine folks uh, for making those prizes happen. Do we have a uh, do we have a qualifier? Yeah, Jason is our next qualifier. Man, you're up to like eight and a half percent today. Nice job. That's just an inside joke between me and Nick. Thanks. Hey, Jason, congratulations, sir. We look forward to seeing you at uh, Moe's coming up here one week from today. Uh, I think we are trying to effort Roy Hudson. In the meantime, we'll talk to you guys at 694-1055. Big, big national debate went viral on first take. Are NBA MVP voters racist? Gosh, I hope not. Wow. I hope not. Uh, Kendrick Perkins and uh, J.J. Redick. You and I were talking about that. Like off the air, not specifically. Do you think that sometimes, if let's say, and I know there's competing shows that, <coughs> excuse me, that they get together and say, let's come up with an issue that can really strike a chord. Uh, let, let's you take this side. I don't know if they do that. I'm just guessing. 
Uh, I'm do sure they, there's a little bit of that. I don't think this because is because aren't they competing with that other one that uh, one with Skip Bayless and so forth? Or yeah. they, maybe they're not on the same time. I, I'm not as clued in on that. Undisputed, undisputed. But uh, and and what Mark's re- referencing, of course, is JJ Reddick getting involved and getting it into it with Kendrick Perkins. This is not the first time Perkins has had uh, an issue with things, and he seems to be very outspoken these days, m- much more than when he was a player. Well, Perkins, uh, JJ's insinuating that Perkins, uh, Perkins is insinuating MVP voters are kind of like racially biased for white players. And he made a comment last week, and it and and JJ Reddick kind of called him on it yesterday on first take, and it kind of blew up. And I want to get the so Perkins said when it comes down to guys winning MVP since 1990, it's only three guys that have won the MVP that wasn't top ten in scoring. Do you know who these three guys were? Steve Nash, Jokic, and Dirk Nowitzki. Now, what do those guys have in common? I'll let it sit there and marinate. You think about it. And, and ironically, none of those three are American-born players. They're none, what? none of them are American-born players. Yeah, maybe he's just hating on foreigners. Maybe that's what it is. Dude. We're in America. We're going to speak American. USA. Nash from Canada. Where's Jokic from? Uh, Slovenia. Slovenia, okay. And yeah. then Nowitzki's German. So, uh, so Perkins also said when it comes to MVP, MVP podium, uh, MVP voting, 80% of the votes are white Americans. 20% are others. I know that stat. So Reddick replied, what we've just witnessed is the problem with this show where we create narratives that do not exist in reality. The implication, what you are implying, that the white voters that vote on NBA are racist, that they favor white people. You just said that. And then they got into it pretty hot and heavy. Yeah. And JJ is not wrong. That is definitely what he was insinuating. Yeah. And now Perkins kind of clapped back and got all defensive because uh, JJ's point was, why'd you stop at 1990? His point being, you know, from 87 to, to, to 90 at that point, there was a guy named Magic Johnson that wasn't top 10 scoring that won a couple MVPs. And, and JJ was saying that Perkins left him out because it kind of makes his point null and void. The other thing is, if you go back over... It's 2023. So you're looking at 33 years. And you point to three instances. I don't, I don't know if that helps your cause much. I don't think if it you're does. Perkins. I don't think it does. And, you know, and again, I, I think criteria being what it is, uh, if Perkins looks more for scoring, you know, I if I was voting, obviously, and, and, and let's face it, any you could pick and skew the numbers any way you want, and then you look at who makes their team better, who got into the postseason, and if he wasn't there, would the team have made it? And I think last year, if Jokic basically carried that team into the postseason because they had so many injuries, you know, and a, and a triple double machine. I don't, you know, I don't have a fault, but I don't follow it closely. I don't follow the MVPs that closely, you know, in the NBA. But you could, I think, make an argument for maybe upwards of five to ten players that deserve at least a shot at it. I'll give you one like this year, and Nick may take exception with this. But, of course, he's hurt now, but you know, and he's not going to win it. I know that. But how about Brunson with the Knicks, who arguably was the best pickup during the season, 
and and how he's helped the Knicks, you know, carry them into that nine game win streak, which they, you know, they lost yesterday, but he's been out with an injury. But guys like that come along and all of a sudden the team is a lot better. Now I know he's not gonna win it. And obviously Giannis would be a good pick this year, right? What what he's done, they got the best record in the NBA. I think he's probably short a triple double to be it, well, how about this too? And he's from Greece. Uh, so would Perkins have a problem with that? And has Giannis he's never won the award before? No, Giannis already has two MVPs. That's what I thought. Right. So the, how come he wasn't included in this? Or no, that's right, because I, I got you. <laughs> I, 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 I've, I got the answer on that one. It's like uh, it's like in Lethal Weapon 2, because you'll he, Yeah. The, right, the exactly. only problem with Kendrick Perkins' argument is that this year, there is no reason that Nikola Jokic should not be the MVP. You just can't come up with a reason on why he shouldn't be the MVP. You can come up with reasons why other people should be considered but you can't come up with a reason why he shouldn't be. Maybe last year you could, but this year you definitely you know, can't. You know so. what's funny, too, is remember back when they had the All-Star game and he was the last one picked, or he actually walked away and said, I don't belong in this game. Yeah. <laughs> so the, they started talking about stat padding in this argument, too, and uh, I did think Perkins did make a good point about why is it that we celebrate Jokic in his triple doubles, yet Russell Westbrook. Well, when Russell Westbrook was getting all the triple doubles, we were celebrating it. I remember all like the Oscar Robertson comparisons. He won MVPs. I think didn't he win an MVP when they were like the seventh or eighth seed? Like we were all celebrating it in the moment. And and the other thing he insinuated. Is it stat padding if you're looking for assists? I mean, by, by definition of the, uh, the the term, you are. But is it stat padding in the same sense of the word? I mean, it's one thing if you're stat padding to get rebounds at the end of the game like Giannis, yeah. or you're stat padding to get your points and you're losing. But can you really accuse anybody of stat padding if you're if you're picking up triple doubles and you're winning? Right. No, and I don't think you can accuse Jokic because he's. I mean, he's a center. He's a back to the basket type of player. I mean, it, with guards, I know that they they thrive on assists, but who really looks at a, a big guy as far as being an assist guy? So, And that was J.J.'s argument, that the passes he's making, there's all this technology now yeah. and analytics that you can – it, it tells you the, whether it's, he's making a good basketball play, and he is. Yeah, he's probably the best passer in NBA history. Mm. <laughs> You're <laughs> laughing? You're oh, laughing. Come on, Nick. But look, Nick, if you watch, watch the we tape – come up with statements like watch that. Watch the tape. So you got the eye test, you got Nick, the numbers that back it up. Please. Nikola Jokic in one month makes passes that Magic Johnson didn't make in his entire career. Nikola Jokic in one month will make passes that Steve Nash never made in his entire career. I'm not even going to mention John Stockton. Do you do you know that Will Chamberlain once led the league in assists? Yeah, he once averaged once 50, right? yeah, 50 points he averaged, but he actually led the league in assists one year. Okay. Well, so I'm say, all I'm saying is it's very difficult to say he's the greatest passer ever. Not for me. Okay, not for you, but there are so many out there. Do Dude, you ever see Sith, Pete, he always ever see always Pete Maravich play? Yeah, Jokic is a better passer than him. Based on what? Like, give me an example. Like... Look, I, I'm, I'm, every, I'm open to listening to your argument. I just yeah. So he he runs the best offense in the league. It all runs through him. Best offense in the NBA. Okay, so you can't get better than best. 
Uh, he is averaging over 10 assists a game. I don't know if he's leading the NBA in assists, but he's right there. So in this moment, he's definitely the best. But if you just watch, if you go on YouTube, every month they're posting a high, a 10-minute highlight clip of Nikola Jokic's best passes every month, okay? No one else is getting that. He's whipping around passes that that you would not see anyone else make in the NBA. I'm telling you. Take my word for it or don't. But you but your, your whole argument is based on take your word for it. You went I'm from te- he's the I best passer. He's it's the a radio best show. I can't ever show a video. Because he runs the best offense in the league. I'm giving you the stats because that's something that I can verbally give you. What what stat is there that says it's the best offense in the league? How oh, is that a stat? The highest offensive rating, you know, like I don't explain points it to per me. possession, uh points off an assist. Why come on, why don't come you on. just Mark, you're say, a basketball guy. Nick, why don't you just say, in my opinion, he's it's the not best an opinion, passer. It's a fact. It's not a fact. You, you haven't is. seen everybody. You don't you said the best passer ever. Best passer ever. That's ridiculous. You haven't seen you can't even go back uh, a ways. You didn't even look, see Maravich. Do you ever see listen, Bob Cousy play? Like I just said, listen, you can people. watch. You can watch a highlight so, of all the passes that Jokic made in one game. In one game. Forget one month, one game. And those will be passes that would be on like uh John Stockton, Magic Johnson's all-time top 10 passes they've ever made in their whole career. He's doing that every single is this, is game. If you don't believe me, go on YouTube, look it up, and you'll say, you'll say, damn, maybe Nick isn't as big of an idiot as we all think. Well, we're thinking that because you're you're trying to take in the whole NBA. Now, you could say, hey, in my lifetime, I could go in, like, in my lifetime since I started following, but to say ever? Ever. I'm see, and I had such respect for your podcast, and now I'm starting to maybe think that this thing is tainted. Look, watch the tape, look at the numbers. <laughs> what else is there? Why? Was, what else do? What else proof do you need? Well, how about when Stockton? You mentioned Stockton, and that, that was like uh, incredible. Those, you know, he and Malone teamed up with all those give and takes, and right? And, and all he was doing was dishing it to Carl Malone in the post or off a pick and roll, and then he'd but, shoot it. And Carl Malone was just an elite scorer, so he helped boost John Stockton. But yeah, he was, numbers. wasn't he? You know, what is it that, right, right. that how you get assists? Based that's how on the guy most scoring pe- That's how most people get assists. Right. But Nikola Jokic, he uses the. This is the opening kickoff on the country's first FM all-sports radio station. 105.5 FM WNSP and WNSP.com. The latest sports, news, traffic, weather, and timely guests with Mark Heim and Lee Shermanian. The opening kickoff. kickoff. Here are Mark and Lee. Eight oh four, hour number two you know let me rephrase i was so worked up hour number three is already here on this wednesday edition thanks for hanging with us it's the opening kickoff mark and lee you know uh, if i asked you who's the assist leader in the nba i bet you'd never get it i wouldn't okay james harden how about that of all people mr <laughs> you mean the best player to never make an all-star team in a season the all-time Ever. leader in assists. <laughs> the all-time leader is Chris Paul. 
that's currently in the NBA. Yeah, by the way, uh, speaking of that, Phoenix uh, home tonight for the first time since Durant. All right, let's uh, move on to Alabama sports. Chris Stewart, get ready for the SEC basketball tournament in lovely Nashville. Chris, good morning. How are you today? Guys, guys, I'm doing great. Mark, where have you been? Good to talk to you again. Yeah, you know, I just figured uh, Lee rarely lets me talk, so I went on a little bit of a... Uh, you went on a basketball tour. Yeah, we, we, yeah. Were, play, we, were, we were up in Birmingham at Legacy doing some high school I stuff. I understand. It, uh, I understand. Isn't that where Brian you... Patrick does the same thing with me. Don't worry about it. Isn't that where you hope to be in the first round of the NCAAs? There is no doubt. I am uh, I am so hopeful, first of all, for Alabama, obviously, and to be able to to play in front of uh, a ton of fans who will find what, you know, when you don't have to pay for a hotel, yeah. you can invest that money in tickets. And so even though the, the secondary market's going to be pretty high, you can uh, afford it a little more easily if you're not having to pay for, for hotel and gas on top of that. So uh, I think that's going to be – that's one thing that'll be really neat seeing that many Bama fans there for a, an NCAA tournament game, but also uh, just from personal sentimental reasons to be back in that building and the place I went as a kid so many times and um, actually was at the 87 regional. I've told, said it many times. My dad was an usher, and, you know, got me, got me in as an usher in 1987 when I was a teenager to, to work those games and, and seeing Alabama with the Derek McKee and Mark Godfrey, Jim Farmer, and some great players that were the number two seed get to go through that site and win the first two, first two rounds was a really cool thing to, to be able to go back as an adult and to actually work a regional there would be incredibly special as well. You open up Friday at noon. Of course, we'll carry the games on WNSP who, uh, who does it look like, or let's say, I guess I'm asking you to kind of project ahead, the winner of which game? Yeah, we get Florida-Mississippi State in the SEC tournament. That's who Alabama will face at noon. So those teams play on Thursday, and I'll actually get to see them because I'm doing the SEC radio network broadcast. That'll be fun working with Tim Thompson from the Vanderbilt network. Uh, we'll, we'll team up and work that game. So I'll, I'll get to do a little scout myself. For uh, for the Gators and the Bulldogs, and the winner gets Alabama. Chris, uh, something we talk about this time of year all the time with very specific teams, but I feel like Alabama probably has more to lose than they have to gain playing in the SEC basketball tournament. What, what are your thoughts? No, I, here's the thing. I I understand that line of thinking because. You know, want to fall out of the the one seed, which I don't think can happen. I think where Alabama is is the number two, most project them as the number two national seed right now, that are that follow that literally for a living. Yeah. Um, feel like the Bama's right there with Kansas or right behind them. So either the the overall number one or the number two, I don't see them sliding out of that, regardless of what happens on Friday or Saturday. Should they make it to that that point? But uh, I think you want to you want to keep momentum. You don't want to lose two straight going into the NCAA's or two out of three. Um, you you want to be playing well, and this team I think um, needs to be playing ball and and will be good for them to see the ball go through the net and will help them as they get to next week. 
be it Birmingham or wherever, whoever they're facing, to uh, to have that that confidence back. And I really think they will. I think this is. I think what's been good for them is is getting some rest, and not that they need more. Um, you know, it'd be easy to say, well, you know, they get more rest, and and that's probably the spin you put on it if you do lose. But this team gets a chance, has gotten a chance to rest up, to get refocused, re-energized, ready for what we hope is the deepest of postseason runs. But it's, you know, it's also the tournament. I mean, they're giving a trophy out, and Alabama won the tournament two years ago after winning the regular season title. It's special. You'd love to be able to do it in front of a packed house. They weren't able to do that two years ago because of COVID. And while we finally got to to win a regular season title and celebrate it in front of the home fans uh, a couple of weeks ago in Tuscaloosa, you'd love to be able to do the same with a tournament title in Nashville. Hey, were you surprised that Brandon Miller caught both player of the year and freshman of the year? And then AP even had them as a player of the year based on some of the stuff that's been going on these days up in Tuscaloosa? No, not at all. He was deserving of it. If you followed it throughout the year, there was no question that he was the best player in the league. And that's what it was supposed to be for. And it was. And I thought the Wooden Award, they, it's their honor. It's their board. They can do what they want. But I think I think they made a an extremely bad decision and calculation um, in not putting the one of the best players, if not the best player in the country, in their final 15. But as far as the SEC, it would have, I would have been more surprised if he had not won both. Yeah, I said as much too. I, I said I knew he'd win one. I, I, I said there's a possibility, and he becomes what the first since Anthony Davis to cop them both, which is you know speaks volumes. All right, so uh, you, you got you play on Friday, and then of course you're hoping to be Sunday. Do you get any inkling at all? I mean, you know you're in the NCAA tournament, and there's a very good chance you'll be on the top line. But do you ever get any inkling that you could be going to Birmingham, or you you don't know until five o'clock or five thirty on uh, Sunday? I really don't know how that works. And and I will say this, you know, Greg Burns on the committee, on the selection committee. And and he's he's talked about it to groups, he's talked about it publicly and, and I've had private conversations with him about it as well. I mean, when he said, you know, I've always heard that, you know, if you're on the committee and your team comes up that you have to leave the room, he goes, That's true. He said, That's happened already. And that will happen. He said, when Alabama's up for conversation, you, you leave the room and you have to, you have to wait down the hallway. Um, and so they will, you know, he will not be part of the, the conversation as it relates to Alabama, but I, I just can't I, look, they love to, the NCAA loves to save money uh, as best they can on certain things. And if you can save money on, you know, if you don't have to put Alabama on an airplane, why would you? Especially when they're as deserving as they are. You put them in Birmingham. It's not on their home floor. They played a game there. They lost a game there. So you're not giving them an advantage. But if there is an advantage to be gained geographically, they've earned it with what they've done over the course of the year. It's not like they've stayed at home and played all their games. They've gone everywhere and played and, and done incredibly well. So. You play in front of that big crowd in, in Birmingham. Wouldn't be surprised if Houston winds up there as well because just because you can have two one seeds at one site in the first and second rounds 
that doesn't mean that they're in the same region. It just means that's where they would go and play. So uh, at least for the for the two rounds, and then you know you could put Houston at another regional site or final site, and Alabama should they advance would be in hopefully Louisville uh, if they're the South. So that's that's where I think it'll wind up, and I think they'll be in a great spot, and that'll be that'll be an awfully fun thing to be a part of if yeah. they could could be in Birmingham and Vance and then go to Louisville where they'll have a ton of fans there as well. Let's go back to Nashville. If Alabama does not win the SEC tournament, give me a team that you think will. Hmm. Here's the probably. I think there's probably, gosh, probably three or four. I mean, Texas A&M is really good. They, they're tough. They're veteran. They've been good all throughout conference play. They struggled out of the gate for whatever reason, but they, you know, they're very, very good. Who was, you know, Kentucky's, Kentucky's been great and Kentucky's been average, but there's also probably three or four other teams that fall into that same category that can be great certain days. And then you just don't know who they are. Alabama's the most consistent. Alabama, Texas A&M are the two most consistent teams in the league. And that's why they finished one, two. So uh, I do think it's, it, it's got to start there. But I, uh, if you're not letting me have Alabama, I'm probably going to take the Aggies. All right. Chris Stewart, our guest here on WNSP. With that said, uh, and I don't know if you subscribe to this, uh, was it such a bad thing they dropped on A&M going into? I mean, it obviously didn't have a whole lot of impact on their postseason. Not a bad idea to lose one to kind of recalibrate, refocus, and all that kind of stuff. Do you subscribe to that kind of thing? Not necessarily, but I, I did get on the plane and I looked at Tom Stipe and I said, we're going to College Station and I won't be shocked. if we, I said, I don't know if we're going to lose by 30 or win by 50, but neither one would shock me. Yeah. And, and instead we had something in between, which was a really tight ball game in the final two minutes. Um, <laughs> you know, and it's, it, I just, I would not have been at all surprised if a young team got really disinterested having already cut down the nets. Yeah. Uh, but that was not the case. They played hard. They played, uh, didn't play their best, but, but certainly played hard. And it wasn't an effort issue in that ball game. A&M's just really good and packed house. That was, was about as loud as any other over the course of the year. And they wanted to make a statement themselves and, and not just cement being in the tournament, but help their seating and probably did that with an impressive win over a, a team that's going to be a number one national seat. Chris, are you doing baseball at yeah, this point? Yeah, I did last night. Yeah, I was game. just going to ask you. I did you. last night at Sanford. Uh, Bama goes to 13-0 with that win. I've done I've done at least three. That may have been my fourth game last night that I've seen. But uh, they're really good. They're a really good team. And uh, unfortunately, I won't be in Mobile next week. I love making that trip and getting to see uh, Bama fans down in the port city and, and being at Eddie Stanky field. But unfortunately I won't be able to make that one next week, but they've got Alabama state tonight in Tuscaloosa that I'll miss. Cause I am going to Nashville today. Um, this weekend, they'll host a good Columbia team that won two games in a regional last year. Don't think of Ivy league teams as being that good, but they'll have them and then they'll go to mobile on a Tuesday and start a, their first SEC series in Gainesville Thursday, uh, Friday and Saturday. So 
They, they've been great, but they've got some. They will play their best opponents coming up this weekend, and uh, certainly next week in in the, the trip south. The reason I brought it up when I saw they hit five home runs, and I'm like, is this a throwback to the 80, late '80s, no. '90s when they used yeah. to hit all these home runs? Is this a home run hitting team? Five homers last yeah. night. Yeah, definitely is. They've already hit 28, 29 maybe on the season. No, wait a minute. I think they got to 30 with five last night. So, yeah, it was 25 going in. They've already hit 30 home runs as a team. And Colby Shelton's got nine of them, just a freshman playing third base. And um, he's been terrific. And he's he's had like – he's homered in four straight games, which is the first time since 2009 when Kent Mathis did it was the – national homer and champion that year. Uh, first time anybody's done that for Alabama and for four consecutive games. And he's just – and he's had two home runs in at least, I think, three of those four games. He's been fantastic. Chris, always fun, my man. Appreciate it. Uh, enjoy the uh, enjoy the tournament, and, and hopefully you're not packing for the NCAA tournament, man. Yeah, I hope it's uh, – I hope I don't have to pack till we go to Louisville and don't even have to think about it until uh, till after Sunday. That's Appreciate right. you guys. Yep, have a good one. Thank you, Chris. The voice of the Crimson Take Tide, care. Chris Stewart, uh, here on WNSP. All right, we're going to ditch the scoreboard. We're going to traffic and weather here. Uh, you come back, you guys can jump in. Connor O'Gara is set for 830. We'll talk a little bit more about the SEC uh, and March Madness. Uh, and, of course, you can continue with your comments on the app at WNSP.com. It's the opening kickoff right here on the sports station, WNSP. Hi, I'm Bobby Humphrey, and when I'm in Mobile, I'm listening to WNSP. F- One of the best passing big men. No, no, he's the best oh. passing big man, but he is going. he's getting closer to being one of the best passers we have ever seen. We're talking about the Magic Johnsons, the John Stocktons, the Jason Kidds, the Steve Nashes, the LeBron James, the Chris Paul, all these guys, he belongs in that class and it's not close because it's ability, it's it's sexiness, it's accuracy, it's all the things. Wasn't it Michael Malone who said that Nikola Jokic was sexy? All right, 8-24. So while you and I are sitting here working, you know, breaking down SEC tournament, he's yeah. in there Looking furthering his agenda. Kendrick Perkins in there. <laughs> or I guess you technically you'd be the uh, anti-Kendrick Perkins, but, That's right. but still pushing the agenda. Yeah, I think I, I misled uh, when I said the assist. The all-time assist leader is Stockton. Yeah. LeBron's moving up there. He's moving. He's climbing. I mentioned Chris Paul only because he's playing tonight. You know, they they got a home game tonight. Their first home game with Kevin Durant in the lineup tonight. So how how do you all define an assist? That is so tricky. Mark, I got to tell you, when I was uh, doing games uh, back before you guys were born, yeah. like it was, I guess, in 1970s or whatever, Rutgers was playing at the Garden, and we had a, a – guard who was closing in on the all-time record for most assists in a game at MSG and they were just giving him assists in other words all you had to do was throw the ball and the guy scored it's assist he got like the 16 in the game and I'm like that's when I first like come on now that's cheap you know I mean everybody has a different I I learned this no matter what venue you went to they all had different criteria and yeah. you and you've kept stats so you know this too I might ask you because you're you're a coach or have been a coach and I was asked the other day if you're still coaching by the way 
I said he coaches us in the morning, but other than that, what do Apparently you do? not very well. What, I always thought a, an assist was that it led directly to a basket. Now, does that mean I'm out on the perimeter and I throw it to the guy five feet away and he scores? No. What do you consider an assist? Well, if that isn't an assist, I mean, aren't you getting the ball to someone and he's ultimately scoring? If you give somebody, let's say I'm, and, and you're your son who did really, really well as a point guard with assist. So if I'm at the top of the perimeter, let's say, and I and I give it to somebody, and then he makes these great moves and gets inside and wiggles in and scores. Should I get credit for an assist? Probably not. I think that I think it gets subjective about how many yeah. basketball moves just, you make after the after the pass is made. Uh, I do think that when you swing it and you and you and I hit I hit Nick in the corner and he drops one from the corner. Like I mean, it, he wouldn't have hit it had I not thrown it in that right. direction. So I think you have to give him the assist. Where things get tricky, though, is to your point. I mean, there are guys that make passes that set up that are actually not the last pass before the basket that are probably more essential than uh, than the pass that was made right before the basket. But I think if you are delivering the ball to someone who then scores within a... Like a three-second... Yeah, like a move or two. Yeah. Like, uh, I think you probably have to give them the assist. I mean, the game is so different now because I was watching even yesterday and how they throw the ball around the perimeter. And I could understand if you're in the left corner and you heave the ball, your skip pass goes in the right corner, guys open and scores. I guess I, I could be talked into giving him an assist. But if I'm out there and I just a, – a casual pass, let's say I throw it to you and then you hit a three, but I haven't really set you up or anything. I just gave you the ball back. I don't see why I should get an well, assist. I'll give you, I'll give you I an, feel like that, that's the definition of an assist. The thing you're saying shouldn't yeah. be one. Because, like, I'll give you an example. So, like, Alex was playing. I think they were they were on the road. He got the ball. No, one of his guys one of his guys came down, passed it to Alex, who passed it right back. The guy shot it. He gets an assist, not because it was so simple, but because the guy that was guarding the other player went to go get Alex. Alex threw it back to the wide open guy. So because he kind of they they moved the defense and he threw it to the wide open guy, it's kind of an assist. Yeah, and, and it's, it seems so simple, but if if they don't have that back and forth, then the guy that scored the basket, he doesn't score the basket unless he gets rid of the ball first. Yeah, and it it's all arbitrary though because every place is it, different. Well, that it is. No, it is. I mean, everybody's got a different view on what an assist is and I have a different view. You do. I've seen uh, arenas where they give it just because the guy threw the ball to the guy who scored. And, of course, to get an assist, you have to give it to the guy that's going to score. Now, when I brought up Maravich, you're not going to see his name among the all-time great assist leaders because he also did a lot of scoring. But there is no doubt that his assists were probably some of the most unbelievable because he it was like watching the Globetrotters, the way he used to behind the leg, through in between his legs and things like that. Although he's not considered now, Magic Johnson. My gosh, they ran the ball so much that all every he he I think had the most assists per in a, per year, like about or per game, like eleven assists per game. But they, it was all showtime. Ooh, I took away your time. I'm sorry. Conor O'Gara is next. Stay with yeah, us. Yeah, sorry about that, buddy. We still have time. The ball is tipped. 
The WNSP March Madness Matchup Challenge is a week from today. You hear that song, be the first one to get Nick on the phone at 694-1055, and you are qualified. We're qualifying 58 people to join us at Moe's downtown a week from today. There will be eight open spots for those that don't get qualified. You'll still have a chance. You'll come down. We are assigning teams to each of you. If that team wins the national championship, you get a smart TV from Bailey's TV and Mattress, and two one-hour Wave Runner rides from Gulf Coast Water Rentals, the only water rentals here in Mobile. So very cool prize packs. Uh, get on the phone and get Nick while you can. Are we ready to go to talk some uh, more SEC? I want to welcome in Connor O'Gara. He writes for Saturday Down South. Comes up with a lot of explosive stories. Connor, welcome to the opening kickoff here in Mobile, Alabama. Good morning. Gentlemen, how are we doing? Pretty good. Let's start off with the SEC tournament. You wrote a story, and I'd like you to go into the details on it. How important is the SEC basketball tournament in the eyes of the NCAA selection committee? I don't think it's that important. I really don't. Um, And look, I recognize that the SEC basketball brand, I think, has really improved uh, over the last uh, probably five, six years. And ironically enough, it's kind of coincided with Kentucky not being this national power. But I think if you look at the recent the, the recent developments of the SEC tournament as it relates to NCAA tournament seeding, I think you can kind of point to a lack of relevance. I think last year seeing A&M be a, a perceived bubble team entering the conference tournament, go all the way to the championship as an eight seed, and then be told, oh, you actually had to win the SEC tournament to get into the field. I think that said a lot, but maybe just as egregious as that was Tennessee entering the week as a top, like, I think there were what, eight or nine in the AP poll. And then they win the SEC tournament. And then the selection committee says, Oh, you're actually going to be a three seed. And that was like, wait, what? So I, I think you could look at those things. You could look at the fact that the SEC hasn't been rewarded with a number one seed in the NCAA tournament since 2015. And to me, the, the SEC tournament has continued to be really, really good. 2021, of course, Bama swept the regular season and the conference tournament, did not get a one seed. I expect that to be different this year, even if Bama doesn't sweep and win the SEC tournament. But it does kind of make you wonder. And you know, even go back to Auburn in 2019, where you know they enter the week as a ranked team, and they end up going through the SEC field, winning the conference tournament, and then they get told, hey, here's your five seed. They still went to a Final Four. But, you know, I, I look at these things and I say, maybe the selection committee just doesn't really care about the SEC tournament that much. So it's kind of my next question. Do you get that feel from any other conference tournament, or is it just specifically the SEC? I think it's specifically the SEC. And, look, I – because I, I think the Big 12 has been rewarded, and I think the Big 12 has been phenomenal. I mean, we're talking about yeah. the two last national championship winners were, were from the Big 12, which that's more than you could say about the Big 10, which continues to get the love. It gets the benefit of the doubt, despite the fact that it hasn't won a national title since Michigan State in 2000. I mean, it's, it's embarrassing what the Big 10 has done on the national stage and how many times they've been a runner-up 
and not been able to, to, to win the big one. But, you know, I, I think it is kind of an SEC thing because the ACC gets the benefit of the doubt very oftentimes. I mean, even the Big East, the Big East has had a year during that stretch in which the SEC has gone cold without a one seed. Big East had a year in which Villanova and Xavier got one seed. So, I mean, I, I do think this is a bit of an SEC thing where, you know, the, the conference isn't considered kind of a lock to get a one seed in a given year. They really have to fight and claw to earn that. I think this year's Alabama team has put up a really, really good case to be able to get that kind of regardless of the way that this week plays out. So if Alabama doesn't win the SEC basketball tournament, who wins it? Man, it's a great question because I think two through tens all over the place. I, and I say two through ten for a reason because I have Arkansas going to the championship as a ten seed, which that would be really significant considering that you know since we had the, the conference expand with adding A and M and Mizzou, there have been eighteen available spots in an SEC championship game, and sixteen of those spots have gone to teams with double buys, so seeds one through four. You know, A and M last year being one of those exceptions, and then twenty nineteen Auburn, the team that I was just talking about winning it all as a five seed. So that would be significant. It feels like we're going to get something like that. I have Vandy beating Kentucky, so I'm not even necessarily high on the Cats this year, which I realize this is when you're supposed to be buying into Kentucky and saying, all right, they've turned the corner. But I just don't really have a whole lot of faith in them, even though they looked really good at Arkansas without Case and Wallace. But, you know, I think that Arkansas is that team that is just so incredibly talented that's been one step forward, two steps back all year. Can they, with maybe a, a little bit more stability, not dealing with the injuries, with maybe a, you know, a Devo Davis game sandwich somewhere in there, can they make one of those runs to a championship? I, I think it's possible, and I think that, that, you know, they're a team that is going to be a really, really difficult out as long as they can get through that first game against an inconsistent Auburn team. Connor O'Gara with uh, Saturday Down South. All right, let's take Arkansas. Obviously, Nick Smith is back six or seven games. They're a much better team with him. If they beat Auburn, as you suggest could possibly happen, does that hurt Auburn's chances for getting into the NCAA tournament? I think Auburn's still good by virtue of winning against Tennessee, but, man, they have – they have really struggled to close out games like that. It, it feels like they're the type of team where unless they win by 30, you're just holding your breath, uh, praying that they don't blow it. I mean, look at those games against Alabama, the way that that played out. Like it, it feels like a team that has been so frustrating. And this is usually kind of the time of year in which we're kind of wondering, all right, like Bruce Pearl's teams, these, you know, they, they, they're kind of coming into their own. They're, they're going to be a really difficult team to play. We know that they can light it up from deep. and They can go on these offensive runs. That It is just a total haymaker. But I think they're still going to be into the field because that Tennessee win is really well-respected. I mean, Tennessee's sitting there, what, number three in net rankings right now. I, I think that they're going to get the benefit of the doubt. But, man, you don't want to lose that game. That makes for such a long weekend, and you have to sweat that out and watch all of those bubble teams you know, and, and, and some of those bids that get stolen. I, I think Auburn, if it wins against Arkansas, they, they breathe a giant, giant sigh of relief. But if I had to guess, I would say they're still going to be in even if they lose. Connor, we spent a lot of time this week on the proposed MO schedule, uh, the 3-6 versus the 1-7, especially in light of the comments made by Nick Saban regarding the possibility he could wind up with Auburn, Tennessee, and LSU. I'd like to get your thoughts on that. Do do you see this headed to the 3-6? If so, uh, does Nick have a gripe about the, the teams that he may be handed, especially in lieu of a, a program like Auburn, which would have Alabama and Georgia 
uh, conceivably on it. Yeah, Auburn's got still the biggest gripe, in my opinion, if you're asking me. But, um, look, I, I do think the 3-6 model is going to happen. And once we saw that playoff expansion was going to happen in 2024, that made the most sense. This was always going to be about the playoff. If the SEC was ever going to make that jump from an eight-game conference schedule to a nine-game conference schedule, it had to coincide with college football playoff and not cannibalizing itself because there is a, an increased difficulty, obviously, going from an eight-game conference schedule to a nine-game conference schedule. And if you don't believe that, tell me all the, the, the teams in the playoff era that have had a nine-game conference schedule and who've won a national championship. Uh, there are none. Even Ohio State was still playing an eight-game conference schedule when they won it all in the first year of the playoffs. So I, I look at this in the way that, that it could set up for Alabama, and I'm thinking, yeah, of course Nick Saban is going to to, to, to to raise some sort of concern because it's magnified when it's three permanent opponents as, a, as opposed to what it currently is, which is seven. I mean, you face your six divisional opponents, and you have your one annual crossover, so you have – seven annual opponents as opposed to only three. So it is magnified that much more where I would push back on that notion is if you actually play this schedule out and if you compare Alabama to, let's say you think Alabama is the most difficult schedule with their three permanent rivals. I don't, I think Auburn has would have a, a tougher draw, but if you compared it to like Kentucky or something and you said like, Oh, Kentucky has the easiest draw and you actually played it out with the rest of the schedule. And you looked at those non annual rivalries, you'd realize there's so much more parity in this schedule than the current model. And that, to me, is the win. I get why Nick Saban pushed back, but I still think that this is going to work out, and we're going to see more parity than there currently is in the SEC. All right, so you also tackle some other hot-button issues. So answer me this, Connor Ogar. Can a follically-challenged head coach win an SEC championship? Great question. <laughs> yeah. uh, look, I'm, look, I've been all over this, and I, I've been, you know, I've talked to now, wh who have I brought this up to? Um, well, I brought it up last year at SEC Media Days to Billy Napier, who not necessarily follically challenged, but he, he shaves his head like he's a full-time, not losing his hair, but still shaves his head type guy. Yeah. Um, he didn't really want to bite on, on that one, but brought it up to Zach Arnett, who had no idea that this was a thing that no SEC head coach with a buzzed or shaved head has ever won the conference <laughs> title. And if look, I'm just saying, I'm here to provide the facts. I talked about it with yeah. Clark Lee, who, look, Clark Lee can grow a little bit of hair. If yeah. you've seen the most recent pictures of him with hair, like, it's not that he can't do it. It's that, you know what, he's better as a bald guy. It just makes a lot more sense for who he is. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, look, I, I, I think that, that we're going to have to see it happen. We haven't seen it happen on the big stage. Go back and look at all the coaches who have won the SEC. Great heads of hair. Uh, there's something to be said for that. I'm just saying, like, maybe, maybe it's not a coincidence. We're still going to be talking about this 20 years from now. And this is why we have you on, among other reasons, but th this is why we have you on. Great stuff as always, man. We really do appreciate it. How can people continue to follow your coverage of the SEC tournament, um, you know, hairstyles and hair trends in the SEC, whatever? <laughs> yeah, I appreciate that. Uh, we, we have great coverage on SaturdayDownSouth.com right now. Uh, our guy, Joe Cox, is going to be at the SEC tournament in Nashville all week. Adam Spencer cranks out great basketball coverage. I'll be helping out on basketball coverage as well, in addition to still keeping an eye on all things spring football. But, yes, as I always tell people, SaturdayDownSouth.com is the true one-stop shop for any college sports fan. Hey, man, we appreciate the time. Be good. We'll, we'll do it again soon.
Awesome. Thanks, guys. Yep. It's Connor Agar from Saturday Down South. Uh, speaking of folks, you uh, you need to know. You need to know about our good friend Aiden Marks over Medicare Insurance Advisors. Just here, here's the thing about Aiden. He's not selling you insurance. He's not an insurance salesman. He's the guy that helps you decide which insurance to buy if you need it. But he's not selling it to you. But that's what he does over at Medicare Insurance Advisors. He's been in the business for 12 or 13 years. Independent guy. He works with multiple carriers. He's helped hundreds of individuals just like you in both Mobile and Baldwin counties. Um, So if you're new to the area, if you're over 65 and still working, or maybe you're looking to retire in the next 12 months, you need to talk to Aiden Marks of Medicare Insurance Advisors. He can help you out. Um, And here's the best part. There's never a fee for a service. So you need to give him a call, 463-0031. That's 463-0031. If you're confused, tired of nonstop solicitation calls, or just need a local agent, he can help you out. Aid Marks, Medicare Insurance Advisors, 463-0031. When we come back, one final segment for the week. No. See, here's my problem, Lee. We talked about this. This is the first time... Right, guys and gals uh that's gonna do it for another edition of the opening kickoff what you got cooking for tomorrow mr shervanian all right with a, a big assist from everybody here oh, i see what he did there yeah we go all right nick tomorrow okay what's the big game in the nba tonight come on he's on the phone oh he is i'm sorry he's ordering lunch he's ordering lunch for everybody is that what he does no mark phoenix right tonight home okay. game kevin durant all right robbie baker is going to join us tomorrow robbie the former tv sportscaster here he's in phoenix he's covering the game he's going to cover it for us paul feinbaum how's that okay jerry palm we missed him the other day he's coming back tomorrow you got a very special guest uh, going NCAA hunting. Oh, uh, yeah. So, Kennesaw State going for the first time ever. Cole LaRue of Mobile, Alabama fame uh, is on that team. He will join us tomorrow at 730 to talk about going dancing for the first time. Didn't we have his brother on, the, the catcher for Auburn last year during we, the uh, NCAA tournament? We did. He has a brother that plays at Auburn. Well, that uh, family's got... So, I will uh, ask him the same question. Is... Uh, is Cole a better baseball player than his brother is a basketball player? And Jim Nagy's going to join us oh, yeah, tomorrow and, also. And yeah. Jim. And Jim's so, going to be on. Yeah, so it should be good. Yeah. Sounds like it's going to be a good show. And we'll be in studio tomorrow because on Friday we're hitting the road for the uh, championship drive. Faith Academy. Faith Academy. We'll How be there that? from 6 to 9. Uh, we'll be talking. Oh, even Jack French is going to join us. What? <laughs> yes. Jack is coming out of... Well, he's not retired, but I I wasn't hibernation. Sure. Yes, that's oh, okay. it. I wasn't sure he'd want to come by. You know, he he does in the fall, but I'm not sure he wanted to come on during the spring and talk some football with us. But he's going to be there, and that that basically means that Matt McCoy not only is going to be there, but he's going to stay there. Oh, that's right, because he's yeah. yeah. I mean, it's just going to be a party because he contributes to the school. Well, he's got deep pockets. I don't know. What can you do? So if you want to come out and see what the Air Sports One looks like, we'll be at Faith Academy on Friday. Also, uh, Chad Pruitt, the assistant basketball coach from Auburn, is who once coached at Faith and was actually hired by Woody. Uh, had he's going to join? He says he's going to be on with us. They play, as you know, they play Arkansas Thursday night. So I'm hoping that happens too. All right, and you know, you never know what other type of absolutes we may debate on this show tomorrow. You just, you never, you never know. He's over there. Goaltending. Uh, Let's hit goaltending. I don't know. I don't know if we ever uh, 
I don't know if we ever, I don't know what we came up with with in in terms of assists, other than you, that guy over there thinks Jokic is the greatest passer ever. That's his opinion. That's fine. He's entitled to his opinion. I, <laughs> I don't can't think. I know. Well, see, that's what gets me when he says, you know, I. it's one opinion, but to say that, to come out emphatically and make statements like that, it reminds me of a board op we had years ago who was wrong every single time. Is that a fact? Yes. You know for a fact that he was wrong like every single time. Me. That, yes. No, that, that sounds pretty emphatic. I think you just nicked Nick. You just nicked Nick. And you know what happens when you if you... I don't. I like Nick. I don't let his statement stand in the way, whether I like him as a person, just because he's off his rocker half the time. With statements. you still like him? Oh, I do. Like oh, that's interesting. You and me. I yeah. can't stand the guy. Yeah, it's you, mostly because yeah. of his ridiculous statements. Takes. Yeah. Like, didn't we have a guy come on yesterday and guarantee Lamar Jackson was going to be an Atlanta Falcon? I think you did. Was I think a- that is indeed true. The statement was like that was statement well, look, was made. I, I, I'd love to well, get more into that, but it looks like the show's wrapping up. We have three hours tomorrow, my friend. Facing the firing squad, Triple G, Teflon Nick. I'll get my notes together. Yeah, be a first. Stay with us. We're back tomorrow at six. Until then, see you. Dan Patrick is next.